0: Welcome to episode 415, where I sat down with Bill Nye the Science Guy, the creator of Peacock's new series, The End is Nye. Bill Nye is a self-described tinkerer. He likes to make things. At an early age, he became a mechanical engineer, worked at Boeing, but was obsessed with comedy. When Warner Brothers had a Steve Martin look-alike contest, he entered the contest and won the Seattle branch. Now he's best known as Bill Nye the Science Guy from his 1993 series... He's a scientist and comedian who explores various aspects of science for young viewers. Now he's working with co-creator Seth MacFarlane from Family Guy to create The End is Nigh, a series to explore the myths and realities of natural and unnatural threats. In this interview, Bill talks about his origin story, the importance of listening as a comedian, how he parted up with Seth MacFarlane, why humans are in charge of the earth now, and how to stay optimistic when facing overwhelming challenges.
2: Well, what happened was, <laughs> I became a mechanical engineer because I like bicycles and airplanes, and you know I'm a tinkerer. I makes I like to make things. All right, so I managed to get an engineering school. I had a very good physics teacher in high school. I managed to get an engineering school. It's working at Boeing, this and that, and then Warner Brothers Records had a Steve Martin lookalike contest. <laughs> and if you're of a certain age, the first Steve Martin's first two albums were just hugely influential. I mean, everybody and his brother was doing Steve Martin jokes. And every city in U.S. and English speaking Canada had two comedy clubs like one week after the success of those albums. So... Warren Brothers Records sponsored this contest. I entered in Seattle, and I won. I won. But I did not advance beyond Seattle. That was, I just won. But after that, people wanted me to do Steve Martin impressions at events, and then you want to do your own jokes. You want to try to write your own material. So I got an interest in stand-up along about 1980, and then... The United States produced both the Chevy Vega and the Ford Pinto cars. And these were about as bad a car as a U.S. manufacturer could manage. And so I got very concerned about the United States and our future. U.S. abandoned teaching the metric system, Mm -hmm. took solar panels off the roof of the White House, uh, and so I got very concerned about the future and I wanted to affect it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the best way, perhaps a good way to affect the future, was to get young people excited about science.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it, it was quite a process from winning the Steve Martin Lookalike contest in 1978 to doing a pilot for the Science Guy show in 1992. Mm-hmm but it uh, they were all consistent one thing leading to another thing
1: and that was initially in in seattle what what did you kind of start with how did you kind of like what was the pitch like for that what what did they oh, like well, about it
2: so so here, the story goes now the story <laughs> is lost in antiquity but it starts with after you start after i tried to do stand up comedy i would go to open mic nights right <clears throat> And I met these couple guys, Ross Schaefer, John Keister, on open mic nights. Then the head of the, I guess he's called Director of Programming at KING TV, King TV, Seattle's in King County. Mm -hmm. So the NBC station is King TV.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Chuck Jones said, I want to have a comedy show. I want to have a comedy show. Everybody's got a comedy show. Let's have a comedy show. So we hired these guys who were doing very well in these open mic nights. And one, Ross Schaefer won the comedy competition one year. And so I met them many times and I started submitting jokes, this and that. And then uh, I was a young guy. I was in a strange town. Mm-hmm. I was a United Way big brother. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I... Uh, was a volunteer at the Pacific Science Center, which is still there in Seattle. And I was a science explainer. I wore a vest and on weekends, people would come and I would, we lift up a truck with a giant I-beam. We do stuff. Anyway, one week on this comedy show, a guest canceled. Mm. And it was either Geraldo Rivera who had written a book and was traveling? or it was Rita Jenrette. Have you ever heard of Rita Jenret? Mm. And so the story is really lost. I think it was Rita Jenrette. She was notorious. She had she claimed to have had sex on the steps of the u s. Capitol, and she was uh, had did a spread in Playboy, even though she was married to a congressman and all this stuff. But she cancelled. So we had to fill six minutes mm. and six minutes of television. That's a long time. Mm. And, So Ross Schaefer in this meeting just offhandedly says, Bill, why don't you do that stuff you're always talking about? You could be be Bill Nye, the science guy or something. (laughs) And then he closes his briefcase, leaves the meeting, because he was also the host of the most popular evening drive show on radio, on KJR. KJR is so old. How old is it? KJR is so old, it only has three call letters. It's in Seattle. KJR is still there every day, all day. And so uh, I did the household uses of liquid nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we've all got liquid nitrogen around. Of course. Of course we do. (laughs) And so you have celery that's gone limp. You can make it crisp Mm -hmm. by freezing it in the liquid nitrogen. You take the onion that you have frozen. you hit it with a knife. It sounds like breaking glass. It's very satisfying, the layers of onion. And then the payoff, which I did as a science explainer all weekend, is you chew the frozen marshmallows, which we would call roasted in liquid nitrogen. You chew it and steam comes out of your nose. It's really very satisfying. Well, Ross, this is an aphrodisiac. It's in steam. And so after that, the science guy bit became a regular thing. Every three weeks or so, I would do a science guy bit. And they got bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier. Then they're... There were two people working on a show called Seattle Today. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to ever have seen an episode of Seattle Today. It's a show in the morning for people who are home in the morning. Almost all women. Almost all housewives is the old term. And they wanted to have their own production company. Jim McKenna and Aaron Gottlieb wanted to leave Seattle Today and do their own thing. And so they got hired by the Washington State Department of Ecology. Mm-hmm. Washington State is so groovy, it doesn't have fish and wildlife. No, it has ecology. And so we did a, we, they hired me to do a 20 minute video called Fabulous Wetlands,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which you can still find on the electric internet there. And that became a template We should do a show, a science guy show, in the same fashion. So it took about four years Mm -hmm. going around to the Department of Energy, the National Science Foundation, King TV itself, trying to get people in management to think this was a good idea. And eventually Jim and Aaron managed to do that. And we made a show. And uh, the pilot was successful enough on my recollection is 20 public broadcasting stations. And that led to a contract with Disney and with PBS to produce these shows because there was something at that time called the children's television act. Mm -hmm. And this was a real thing for Tipper Gore, Mm -hmm. Al Gore's wife at the time. And uh, she really wanted to have three hours of educational programming every week. And Television station station group owners. This is an outrage. You know, we have a license to print money. You can't make us do educational television. But uh, we were at the right place at the right time. Yeah. So I'll say.
1: Did your comedy change? I would imagine in the nightclubs you're talking to adults, but then a, pretty soon you're talking to kids. How did you yeah, there's a lot fewer
2: a lot fewer um, sexual a lot <laughs> a lot fewer. Uh, But the the idea of comedy, what makes you laugh is, well, people have written books about this, but it's the surprise Mm
1: -hmm.
2: where you don't see it coming. But it's also the anticipation. First guy goes into the bar, second guy's the third guy goes into the bar and blank, right? Mm. So uh, I'm standing in front of a vat of seawater, cubic meter of seawater on a kid's show. I guarantee you at some point, I'm going to try to take a sip of sea water and spit it out. I mean, that's just right. going to happen. Right. Okay. Deal. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Were you always kind of spontaneous. Like I've heard Conan O'Brien say he got too structured. It had to learn to like be a little bit looser in his like live bits. Did you find kind of a balance with those two things?
2: Well, the, yeah, the key man, and it is difficult. You have to listen. Yeah. Okay. I was on Conan O'Brien's show once. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, really lot wide lapels, big (laughs) coats, suits. I mean, Uh, you have to listen. And then if you're doing, if you're the only guy on camera talking to a lens, whatever, you have to imagine what the list, what the viewer is thinking. Mm. That's my opinion. That's a really, that's a great question.
1: Did you kind of start to create your own set of rules and like a balance of education and entertainment? Like how, it seems like you found that balance, but how did? Well, that's you find our goal. It? That yeah. is the
2: goal. Yes. <laughs> so, no. So this is—I'll tell you. This came up uh, about a month ago. In the in 1993. Now I'm going to say maybe it was 1990 in the fall of 1994, the Federal Communications Commission with the influence of tipper gore and the children's film had a hearing about children's television and what's going to qualify as enter as educational programming mm-hmm. and i told those guys to their face they weren't all guys i told those people to their faces the show has to be entertaining first it's a tv show mm-hmm. you have to start with it entertaining and then make sure it has educational uh messages Mm -hmm. and that's to me is very straightforward but if it's not entertaining who's going to watch it people
1: yeah
2: like i understand you're all well well intending three hours of educational programming no jokes we're deadly serious i got all that but in order to get people to watch it it has to be entertaining so striking that balance is the name of the game man so we come up with what we want to get across what disaster we're going to use we think about how we're going to kill me <laughs> mm. then we think about then we write it and then we try to add jokes mm. and you can literally read sentences and add punchlines, punch words or you have a big idea that's inherently silly you know some sort of giant machine or the disaster institute i won't say it's silly but it's whimsical. And you start with that, and that leads to um, comedy, leads to humor.
1: Where did the idea for this show come from? Did it come from you meeting Seth MacFarlane? I've kind of read some. He got to meet
2: me, okay? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Tell me, tell me kind of the origin story.
2: Well, so Seth MacFarlane works a lot with Brandon Braga. Mm -hmm. And I met Brandon Braga several times. He wrote some Star Trek things, the Star Trek people are acquaintances of mine. Bob uh, Picardo, the doctor, was my, this officiant at my wedding. Uh, anyway, um, he said, you know, we ought to do something together. We ought to do something together. And Seth, we were meeting at Seth's uh, office, fuzzy door. And, uh, you know, conservative media, the reason they're so successful, is, is this is Seth MacFarlane, they scare people. <laughs> conservative media scare people. We need to scare people. that's the idea that the disaster movies are scary and the yeah. surprising thing, surprising to me during a pandemic, you might think everybody would want to stay home mm-hmm. and watch romantic comedies or something, but that's not what people were doing. They wanted to watch contagion right. and towering Inferno or whatever it was.
1: Yeah,
2: There's something about you, like you want to get closer to it. You want to understand it. Be, you know, What would you do in that situation kind of thing? Mm-hmm. uh and so that led to the premise of the show and then the arc and then since it's i'm the host and this and that we got to have this optimistic view of the future with science mm-hmm. so that's the second half of the show mm-hmm.
1: how do you go about um were you working with the writers team like i know you, you oh yeah the, we had yeah, yeah
2: so i'm the head yeah. or mm-hmm. i am uh the main writer on every script mm-hmm. but then. Brandon's a writer. We hired C.C. Pleasant, who is just fantastic. She I worked with her on the Netflix. She writes for um, James Corden now. Mm-hmm. Then Corey Powell is a guy I've written books with. He's been my editor on books I've written. And uh, uh, Prashan, um, uh, uh, Sam Sagan, Carl Sagan's son, mm-hmm. Andrea. and so we had you know a writing team, and and Seth MacFarlane added some stuff. And uh, we collaborated to create these shows.
1: Where did you begin? Oh, uh, and
2: Andre yeah. Bormanis, who's an old uh, contributor to the Planetary Party. He's an astronomer.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it, it's, it's six episodes. Where did you guys begin? Did you just pick like six giant disasters and spin out from there? Well, or? the main
2: disaster, when you're in Los Angeles, the disaster people are talking about is climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, you heard about the droughts we had now, these catastrophic rainstorms, which you'd think would be great, but it led to these mudslides and Mm why we couldn't capture all that water. Everything sucks. Mm -hmm. And then uh, overuse of water in the Inland Empire, it's called, where all your lettuce is grown. And so uh, that was where it started. But then also in California, people talk about earthquakes all the time. I, as a student of Carl Sagan and head of the planetary so i really wanted an asteroid or comet impact we did Mm -hmm. that and uh is fascinated with the dust bowl this is something that he's always wondered about yeah and uh so he wanted to do a dust bowl episode we did not do a pandemic episode because we were in the middle of one (laughs) right and we did not do the other one that in season two if there ever is one, the other one we want to do is um, a, a totalitarian, hmm. where the strong man just creates all these problems for everybody, right. which has happened historically many times. But can you imagine? It's easy, rather, for me to imagine some senator managing to cut the budget of NASA enough so that we cannot deflect an asteroid and everybody dies. I could easily imagine that. Right. For example.
1: For those unfamiliar, obviously the first thing, go watch the show. But so I read Michael Lewis's book about the pandemic and he went into great detail about how it could be avoided or certain precautions were in place for those unfamiliar completely. What kind of people are doing this research to avoid a possible asteroid or like who's doing this research? Where can people find out more in addition to watching the show?
2: Well, in the case of the asteroid, yeah. go to NASA's website. So they with the Planetary Society's advocacy, I take full credit, no, I'm kidding. Or <laughs> with the advocacy of our members, we managed to secure or get funding for the Neo Surveyor, Near Earth Object Surveyor spacecraft. And it's a big job. It's about a billion dollars. And the old saying is looking for an asteroid is like looking for charcoal briquette in the dark. (laughs) They're hard to see, but in the infrared, in heat, you can detect them if you have a sensitive enough gizmo. And so that's what we are building. They are building. Then as far as the Dust Bowl, the Department of Agriculture, has all sorts of things about best practices in farming.
1: Mm-hmm. For
2: earthquake preparedness, the federal the uh, um, uh, emergency uh, Management administration is ready for you. Go to their websites and check it out. Uh, and then as far as the pandemic goes, I know there are an extraordinary number of science deniers who mm-hmm. insist that, that masks don't do anything and vaccines are killing more people, which is absolutely, totally, completely, utterly wrong. Nor is the earth flat by (laughs) anti-vaccine people. Earth is not flat. Vaccines do work. Don't make me come over there. (laughs) So the Centers for Disease Control is an excellent website. As far as the pandemic goes, if I just add, it's a complicated virus that behaved in ways that people had not Uh, seen for about a century you know Mm -hmm. the reason you and i are here is because our ancestors were not killed by the spanish flu right in fact i mentioned bob picardo the guy who officiated my wedding his father or rather his uncle died in the spanish flu
0: Mm.
2: Uh, it killed him Mm -hmm. and so we had a million people in the u.s the world's most technically advanced civil society or technically influential society. Had a million people die in this anti-science hand wringing. So uh, there's many places to look for this information. I claim all six disaster movies, all six The End Is Nigh episodes are based on solid science. We hired solid, real experts in their field Mm -hmm. to produce them.
1: What, what's one thing you hope people walk away, like some action steps individuals oh. might take for, for after watching a show like this?
2: Well, the first thing is be optimistic. Yes, some of these problems look overwhelming. Climate change, mm-hmm. asteroid coming in, dust bowl. These problems look overwhelming, but you have to be optimistic or you're not going to get anything done. If you think you're going to lose the basketball pickup game or the poker game or whatever. Yes, you will lose. (laughs) If you think you don't have a chance of winning, you won't have a chance of winning. Mm. So we want everybody to be optimistic, uh, not in denial and not, uh, not concerned, not worried, but at the same time, understanding that we can do something to address each of these huge problems. Mm. And the other big idea, I think I want people to walk away with, or when they turn off the remote, is that humans are in charge now of the Earth. You know, there's no evidence that the ancient dinosaurs had a space program. If they did, it wasn't good enough. All right, it, it, it didn't work for them. But we do have space programs, we have space agencies around the world, we have private companies doing extraordinary things with rockets. We can deflect and identify and deflect an asteroid. We can prevent that natural disaster. Mm. We can get ready for huge earthquakes or enormous volcanic eruptions. We can prepare for those things. And when it comes to climate change, we can stop dumping so much carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere. We can do this and then we can eventually develop technologies to take carbon dioxide out. So, We are in charge. When I was a kid, there were fewer than 3 billion people in the world. Now there are eight going on 9 billion people. Mm -hmm. And so what's changed is we are not separate from nature. We are so influential in every part, every ecosystem on earth. So let's embrace that. Let's make decisions, let's create, let's uh, write policies, let's invest in technologies to take care of the earth as stewards the same way you take care of your house or your kid or whatever is you, you're active in managing it. And that's what we have to be. We have to be active in managing earth. Back to you. You,
1: you kind of started your career taking on a great deal of personal responsibility for these things. Where does that kind of come from? I'm If you know, or if you've thought about it, I guess.
2: I mean, well, I guess, you know, I, um, my parents were both veterans of World War II, mm-hmm. and they had a real team spirit view of the world, I think. They viewed uh, uh, participation in politics as very important.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like Voting was a huge thing with them. And uh, the thing that happened in World War II to everybody was everybody pulled together. Mm-hmm. People from all walks of life and all political stripes work together to address this global problem. And I guess I was brought up with that. Then I was, I was a very good Boy Scout. It's a good Boy Scout and community service is uh, part of it. Uh, I don't know. I was brought up with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, in order to leave the world, my dad had two things you had to do. You, everybody is every person is responsible for his or her own actions and leave the world better than you found it hmm. so if you want to leave the world better than you found it sometimes you got to pick up other people's trash it's just <laughs> how it is
1: what are some of the maybe um, the things you most hear about your original show people come up to you and remember it the most well and what do you think people might have overlooked about your show seen- and,
2: well I don't know if I wish but something you would have over <laughs> looked is how much work it was Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it was a huge Mm -hmm. amount of work just hours and hours and hours but let's see what is it that well i don't know if it was overlooked but there's a lot more to each topic we Mm -hmm. did a what did i talk topic about dinosaurs or volcanoes or earthquakes the science guy show did all those there's a lot more to it than those 22 minutes 30 seconds Mm -hmm. on pbs those 28 minutes there's a lot more to it than we could present in a half hour. Hmm. I don't know if that's overlooked, it's
1: just important. Uh, Any advice for for those who grew up watching you, anything uh, you wish to share to your lifelong fans, I guess you'd say?
2: Turn it up loud! (laughs) We put our heart and souls into that thing. Everybody worked as hard as he or she could. And so I hope you enjoy it. And a third generation of people is watching the show now. Yeah that's because guys like you are having your kids watch it right so thank you
0: thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift i'm giving you my first book ink by the barrel for free that's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com Inside this book, you will learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's Different Is Better approach, and learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. These are just a few other ideas in the book Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy, that's a digital download and audiobook, at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never missed an episode.